In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and this series is in cooperation with Cinda Virtual, which brings you thought leaders and business stories from all over the world. Now, you can learn more about Cinda on www.cinda.org. But we don't only bring you thought leaders from all over the world. We also have listeners from all over the world. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. And if you're new to the series, let me tell you what this series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization, digital transition, and the connected world is having on our organizations and what that impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive a long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence, digital transitions, and data protection regulations to leadership issues such as gender balance and business values and ethics that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please listen to us live every Tuesday, 3 p.m. And if you miss us live, don't worry about it because we're on every major podcast platform from Apple to Google to Stitcher to Spotify. We're all over the net. So just look for Leadership Beyond Borders. And I invite you to connect with me. Please send me your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or go to the website leadershipbeyondborders.net. And let me know what you want to hear about on this show. But if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we'll make sure that you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. Now on to today. I'm gonna I'm gonna quote our guest today. And what he says is People who discuss a digital transition often focus on new technology with the presumption that the working population will embrace it enthusiastically. But human beings are still instinctively dominated by fear, a single complicating reflex, which always will be the default response. Now, there is a lot of fear around you know, technology advancement, which can ultimately give rise to fear in the workplace. And our guest also says the results of fear in the workplace have enormous repercussions on the organization, including increased vulnerability to ransomware, to cyber attacks, increased employee turnover, loss of competitiveness, loss of market share, resistance, sabotage, discrimination, and litigation. And today we're going to explore technology and the fear in the workplace around it. And our guest today is Steve Prentice, and he's a specialist in organizational psychology, focusing on the junction where people and technology interact. Steve's fourth book is entitled The Future of Workplace Fear, How Human Reflex Stands in the Way of Digital Transformation. And it came out in May of this year, and it focuses on the one key fact, humans are driven by fear, and its roots are much deeper than they appear. Anyone who seeks to deploy digital transition successfully 
must first understand that. Now, Steve helps people and organizations understand each other, the technologies they use, and the changes that these present. He is a speaker, writer, journalist, and university lecturer who focuses on the human aspect of cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, blockchain, and the future of work. Welcome to the show, Steve. Well, thank you, Kimberly. It's a pleasure to be here. So, so Steve, you've been doing this for a while, but you just came out with the your fourth book. Um, what moved you to write this fourth book? Well, it's just simply being uh, observing the the standard expectation that organizations have when it comes to moving into new technologies. It's not in- intended to be a bad news book at all. In fact, I'm you know probably the most uh, enthusiastic embracer of new technologies. But it's always hard when you see these things kind of fall flat uh, and not succeed the way they were designed to succeed, not because of any technological flaw, but because humans aren't designed to embrace change well. So what drove me was really to try and help make the digital transformation more successful by recognizing that one half of the relationship is fully human, and that Mm -hmm. tends to get overlooked. Mm-hmm. And and actually, it just came out kind of on the on the foot of, of you know, came out this year at the foot of the pandemic where we all had got pushed into to digital transition. And I think I think for our, our audience, um, maybe it's good that we kind of first talk about digital transition and define that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, transition or transformation, we're just looking at embracing or bringing in new technologies, digital technologies, to do things that we used to do manually. I mean, the most simple, you know, the most basic of these might be email. You know, people used to send things that were handwritten or typed, and then we got email. That was part of digital transformation, but so is the use of other technologies. we, you know, we've gone from things like PowerPoint and Microsoft Word through to collaborative environments where you can work from wherever you are in the world and not only speak or appear on camera, but also interact using whiteboards and other kinds of collaborative things. We've got uh, technologies that um, are based on or run with artificial intelligence, so they can figure things out without any human inter- interaction. These are all parts of this large concept of embracing new technologies in the workplace, into commerce, into schools, and it's growing very quickly. So you're absolutely right. The the uh, the sort of the two-year period that we were all forced to go back to our homes and learn to work from home was a kind of a kicker. And, the, you know, this was all moving. We were all moving in this direction over the years prior to COVID. But this really kicked things into high gear as everybody suddenly discovered, hey, you know what? You can do this work from lo- you know, other locations, including home. And that has substantially changed things. And so we are on a much higher plane of development now. It was kind of like a um, transition on steroids there for two years. And, um, and when that was happening, um, you know, it, what did you see? I mean, did you did you see fear, um, you know, resistance to change during this, you know, two year period as we kind of went fast forward? Sure. I mean, you saw some people, you know, who didn't want to uh, appear on camera. And I mean, I've done mm-hmm. I do a lot of teaching and speaking. Uh, I was doing a lot of that on Zoom. And thankfully, in the earlier period of the lockdown, when all of my speaking gigs disappeared, as did every other speaker in the world, <laughs> I was able to replace that with uh, giving companies tuition on how, how to use 
video chat technologies like Zoom and WebEx and Microsoft Teams. So I was able to fill that gap just with, you know, by addressing their knowledge gap in this thing. But yeah, people, uh, most people don't like being on camera. And part of that has to do with the, uh, the fear of, of appearing on camera and it, it, understanding why, why is this the case? Why do people not like to be there? It isn't purely a vanity thing. In fact, there's a lot much more deeper sources of this particular fear. So this really did demonstrate this in, in large scale. Okay. And so the, I'm sure you work with a lot of organizations and, and it, you know, as we went through this kind of transition of everybody all of a sudden had to work from home and, and uh, do Zoom and uh, be on camera and, and, you know, the whole workplace changed. And um, what did you see organizations doing? I mean, what were some of the positive examples and maybe some of the, the challenges you saw as, as, you know, when they when they did this transition? Yeah, the, the positive things that I saw was the organizations that learned how to reach out and make this work. And that, that involves, uh, again, teaching people how to feel comfortable on a video call, which doesn't mean forcing everybody to be on video. You know, if you don't want to be on video, then how can you continue to interact with the teams? So the proactive organization looks to find ways to make the organization and the technology blend seamlessly and comfortably. Uh, the ones that seem to resist it were the ones who didn't like um, the idea of people not being in the office. And there was a profound demonstration of a lack of trust. A lot of managers uh, couldn't trust their employees to do their work from home. And I found this to be a remarkably uh, revelatory moment in the nature of, of the relationship between managers and, uh, and working people. Uh, you know, can you not trust your people if you cannot so th there's a lot of companies to this day that continue to resist this or who, who are continuing to uh, insist that their employees return to the office uh, because they say this is the only place you can be spontaneous and creative and, and work together. I disagree with that completely. Uh, mm -hmm. But this is, again, a fear of the of management in terms of losing what they knew as their comfort level of managing people. So there's more than one level of fear, more than one audience for these yeah. fears. Yeah, and, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, the different kinds of fear in a minute. But I, I'd like to stay for on this on this video thing for a minute, okay? Um, because it, you know, there's some there's some thought behind it that you really you need to have the cameras on, okay? You you need to be able to see how somebody else, you know, the the what their body language is, what their expressions are, um, in order to really relate to either your colleagues or or your manager or your subordinates. Um, what's your opinion on that? Two things. First of all, I totally agree. I would much prefer to have people on camera because, as you said, body language is, is integral to the communication success plan. We read more from what we see than what we hear. Um, so I'd love to do that. But this is this is what this is what's known as digital literacy, the capacity to, to parse information. Uh, you know, there's many parts to digital literacy, but one of them is this, the ability to know how to behave on camera. Um, if you were part of an audience and I was speaking um, or a part of a team working together as a group in an organization, your presence on camera isn't just simply a receiving thing where you're receiving, uh, you know, my speech as part of this relationship. You are also giving in terms of that very body language, that reaction. Um, so your presence on camera is for me, not just simply for you. And that, of course, applies in every direction to every person. So the, the digital literacy concept is, is understanding that being on camera 
isn't just simply about a matter of taking attendance. It's a matter of having that relationship with everyone else. And to me, it's the same level of learning as learning how to use a telephone, right? I mean, everyone has learned how to use a telephone. We have for pretty much all of our lives. Um, it, it, there's a distant, there's a voice in your ear that is from somebody many miles away. Okay, we got used to that. We learn how to do it. We need to learn how to do this with on camera. And next, of course, Kimberly, is the notion of virtual worlds. So there is this resistance. Mm-hmm. So I fully agree with it. However, I must add, <clears throat> in researching this for the book, one of the things that I discovered was a, um, a paper that was written by a psychologist in Boston who said the problem is that being on camera, seeing yourself on camera, is like ha- having somebody stand next to you with a full-length mirror. <laughs> and this is something that we cannot do. Uh, you know, we're not used to seeing ourselves on camera. And so it is different. It is weird, and it needs training. We need to learn how to do it. So I'm fully in favor of it. I want to see people grow into this capacity of digital literacy, but there's definitely some very uh, primordial reasons for reluctance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that analogy of the full uh, full length mirror <laughs> because maybe we do it before we go out. Then we have no idea afterwards. You know? you and with the yeah, and with and with the camera, we're kind of looking at ourselves the whole time. <laughs> and most people are not used to that. Yeah. So, um, Steve, I want to I want to dive into this digital literacy and then the different kinds of fear, because, you know, as I said, I think we all know we all kind of went fast forward. You know, the trends that for this digital and virtual, you know, workplace and transition was was going very slowly and then it had to speed up. And um, there's all kinds of fear out there. It's not just the fear of cameras. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Um, But we're going to take a short break. And for our listeners, we are talking with Steve Prentice. And he's a specialist in organizational psychology, focusing on the junction where people and technology interact. And his fourth book is out. Excellent book, The Future of Work. Place fear, how human reflex stands in the way of digital trans- transformation. And Steve helps people and organizations understand each other, the technologies they use, and the changes and how to change. He's also a speaker, writer, journalist, and university lecturer on human acceptance of technology, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, blockchain, and the future of work. Now, you can reach out to Steve on his website at www.steve.com. Prentice.com. Steve is also on LinkedIn under Steve Prentice and on Twitter under Steve Prentice. So please reach out to him. This broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda, and Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. They hold virtual trainings, conferences, market research, legislative white papers, all focused on digital. And they also, their next conference is going to be held in Florence, Italy, October 16th to 18th. So please go to www.cinda.org to learn more about Cinda. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. 
How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we're talking with Steve Prentice. And he's a specialist in organizational psychology, focusing on the junction where people and technology interact. Now, he's an author, and his fourth book is entitled The Future of Workplace Fear, How Human Reflex Stands in the Way of Digital Transformation. Now, Steve helps organizations understand each other and the technologies they use and how to make change. He's a speaker writer, journalist, and university lecturer who focuses on the human acceptance of technology, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, blockchain, and the future of work. So, Steve, uh, welcome back. Now, before before the break, we talked about digital literacy, and we talked about kind of this fear of being on the camera, you know, after all of a sudden we went into the work the virtual workplace. But it, it wasn't just the camera. And I want to, in your book, you talk about, you know, technology and and some of the different kind of fears behind the technology. And I'd, I'd like to d- kind of go into a few of those, um, if you'd share some of those different kind of fears that, that you've observed uh, through these uh, digital transitions. Absolutely. I mean, the, the number one fear, the kind of spoiler here, the number one fear in the book is, is the, the fear of losing your job. You know, mm-hmm. as, as an employee or as a worker, if you make a mistake or if you don't look like a team player because you prefer to turn your camera off, let's say, or something like that, um, the, the greater, deeper fear is this is going to reflect badly on your career, uh, your relationship with your manager. So, uh, you know, your job is obviously what keeps most of us going in terms of paying the bills and uh, you know we have this this uh, relationship with needing to stay employed in order to keep keep paying those bills so the point comes if I make a mistake, if I screw up, I can jeopardize my job here. So I'm, I've learned a few skills and I'm working here in the office and whatever line of work it happens to be. And now someone comes along and says, hey, this new technology we have to use, whether it's for meetings or collaboration, or an example I use a few times in the book is the notion of password security. Uh, this is a huge other area, of course. But the point is, from a fear standpoint, if I said, well, you've got to not only change your passwords every two weeks, but you've got to use this software to do it uh, because this is much, much safer than just you know using the names of your pets in your password. Well, now I've got to learn a new technology. Uh, and this means a new thing in my life that I don't know 
how to do it. And if I screw up, I might, you know, again, lose my job or, or just simply lose my career prospects. So this is one of the most profound fears of all is what's this going to do to my job? And this has happened all through our lives. And this is a, the reason why people take emails home at night uh, to return emails in the evening rather than pushing back during the day to insist on doing them on company time, which is what I'm a strong proponent of. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you push back too hard, you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. So that's the biggest fear is that anything that I do will make a mistake or in some way will jeopardize my job here. And that's something that I, I provide, you know, I provide the antidote, you know, and I'm happy to share it with you, but I provide the antidote to getting rid of that fear. But that's the biggest one of all. Yeah. And, and just uh, to, to stay on that for a minute, you know, if you get a new technology in a job, um, you know, what what responsibility is is the company in, in making that you know, um, um, you know, a little bit transparent and and easy to easier to learn. And I think a lot of time that fear comes from it's just so hard to to understand. You know, it might be a simple technology, but the way it's put forward is is quite complicated. Absolutely, and this is, by the way, how I. Start- business in the first place back in the early 90s with helping people understand this crazy weird thing called a computer. Uh, there was always this big gap between what was designed by the engineers and what the end users, us, were expected to do with it. So absolutely, the responsibility is entirely on the company to make this possible. Uh, learning is a, an iterative skill. You can't learn things in like a one-hour crash course or a three-hour mm-hmm. seminar. And uh, believe me, I've delivered many of these over my career. It's not fair. You can't do that. It's too much information coming in too quickly. Um, If I was to come to an organization and say, here's how our password management software is going to work, I'm going to set up a room somewhere where people can come in on their own time and try it out on a computer that is safe. No no damage can be done by playing around with this thing. Um, And as many times as you want, because learning is an iterative process. If you've ever tried to learn a second language or learned a a tune, you know, as as a musician, for example, learning a new song, you can't do it all in one go in one hour. So companies should be far more responsible for providing iterative learning in, in different ways. Some people learn by listening, some by interacting, um, something that fits the individual's learning style rather than simply dumping it on people and their mistakes then become their fault. That is the root the root cause of the fear. Mm-hmm. If I screw, I'm going to lose my job. But if you don't give me the chance to learn, I'm going to fear it from the very beginning and resist using it. So Mm -hmm. the company is responsible for providing appropriate learning, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And and me as an employee, okay, you said you might have, so I, I completely agree with you because I've seen too many times where people are just like given a technology with very little explanation and not time to learn. Um, but m- me as, a, as an employee, okay, um, I'm sitting there and I, I'm a very visual learner and I'm given, you know, something different, some kind of, you know, tech, you know, a book or technology or whatever. Um, how do I get, what's the antidote for my fear? How do I get through my fear? Basically, finding out how to learn it and finding out little parts of, of what's going to work for you uh, in small amounts. You know, what is the actual thing that's causing you the fear itself? 
simply that you like how things were. You know, you like the status quo and you don't want to have to move beyond that. So knowing what it is that you can do to build on this piece by piece, um, seeing the end results and basically filling out the picture beforehand, because one of the biggest fears that I talk about is the fear of the unknown. People just mm-hmm. don't know what this is going to lead to. So they have huge fear of the unknown. So the antidote to that is going to be to replace that with facts. If I can show you just how a piece of software works, whether it's, again, password software or just how to use the new version of word processing software, um, getting small amounts of facts you can build on. It's kind of like an inoculation, basically. That's the steps that I provide. And individual people learn in different ways at different paces and different styles. Mm -hmm. So I would see Learn in the way that they understand which way they prefer to learn, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. There's something that you, you said when we were talking, when we started talking about this resonant with me, um, is, is you know, the emails during the work. Okay. And, um, and I've seen, you know, employees that they really have a fear of, we're, we're, I guess, Steve, my point is we're virtually on 24 hours today. Okay. And the, this, the, you know, our personal lives have blended, I would say, blended with our work lives. And and people have this um, kind of fear that of, of emails, you know, and answering them. OK, um, how has this affected us in the fear, you know, um, that we're really kind of sometimes expected to be on 24 hours? Yeah, the same, it's the same thing is that we're expected to. Uh, and so we do because you know what, what's the what's the alternative? You lose your job. Um, mm-hmm. I've been a strong proponent of of negotiating the relationships with people and their managers to say, well, look, um, let's just take email as one simple example. You know, how many emails do you think that you deal with in a day? Most people can't really say unless. I give them the give them the time to think about it for a second and say, and I do this in in se- seminars that I deliver, and they might say, well, I guess it's twenty or thirty or a hundred, right? And I'm saying, well, how can you possibly uh, build a day around knowing you've got this inventory uh, that's going to happen every single day, like the tide coming in, twenty, thirty, fifty emails a day? And then the second question is, how long does each of these emails take you to respond to? And when you add those things together, you recognize that maybe three hours out of your workday is dedicated only to emails. Mm. The question becomes then, is that worth? Should that be the case, or can we pare it down? If it is worth it, then you and your manager have to redefine what the nature of your work actually is. It's almost like saying, you know, we can buy a fire truck for our town, but we don't want to pay for the gas. Okay, okay, well, you use this fire truck now. You've got to recognize just how long these things take in a day. Uh, and the problem is most people consider things like email to be side side stuff. Not, not my major job, it's just side stuff. And that's where the problems happen, is that at the end of the day, you still have all these emails to respond to, so you sacrifice your personal life at home to respond to them at night out of fear of losing mm-hmm. your job if you don't. So the point becomes a pushback to say, what does my work entail within the hours of my day? And how can I balance this so I can communicate as much as we need to do so using email and other technologies, but also do my other work. But this has, again, been left to, to sort of flap in the breeze, uh, and people are left to their own devices to fix it. And that I don't think is fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the, there again, we're looking at the, you know, what is the responsibility of the company and um, their expectations? And, uh, on, you know, I, I'm thinking about these emails, okay, and I'm thinking how really, you know, this 24-hour on has kind of exploded 
you know, since the pandemic when it was virtual. Um, and we're moving back to kind of a hybrid situation. Um, and there's also people who really don't want to move back or have, you know, have fear of, of going into the office. It's kind of, I've seen like people have unlearned their social skills or unlearned their skills and, and don't want to go back. Is that a fear out there too, of people not wanting to go to, to, to you know, to go back into the, uh, um, the office? Absolutely it is because the, the new, <laughs> some people call it, is, is one of these terms that can be either way. You can sort of say, well, the new normal is going back to how things used to be, uh, I know, refreshed after the COVID break, or no, it's not. It's actually a different normal, which is what I would fall on. That's the argument side I would fall on, is it's a different normal. So going back to this workplace is going to be very, very different, not only in terms of interacting with people you haven't seen for a couple of years in person, but also there are, are pure health and hygiene issues. You know, is it physically safe to go back to this building? Mm -hmm. um, but thirdly, there is the, the notion of, Will this will this company uh, change? Uh, there's a fear of missing out, by the way. And those who get to work from home, um, you know, have a particular kind of enjoyment if they like to work from home, that those who actually stay at the office and go back to the office, they're going to fear what they're missing out on. You know, why, why do I have to go back and commute back to the office? Now this office is only half as full as it used to be. And where there used to be a whole bunch of cubicles and desks, now there's a few desks that I have to reserve using a reservation system. I don't like that. That's not what I grew into. So people will constantly fear this new, the newness, because it mm. isn't the and mm -hmm. that again is a classic fear and so they really are stuck wondering you know do i fear staying home or do i fear actually going to work which is the worst of the fears and all of this is immensely draining not only to one's intellectual abilities but also to your immune system as well mm -hmm. so it's not and, and Steve, is this, you know, we, we talk about this, people talk with each other. And I, I guess one of the questions I had uh, was, you know, I think in your book someplace you said that fear is contagious. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I say to my colleague, yeah, I'm really afraid to go back to the office because I may get COVID. And although I'm missing things out, I mean, how, is this kind of like the water, this, this cascades down through an organization? Yes, it does. Uh, uh, fear is contagious uh, because, once again, emotion rules. I mean, um, for the two sides of the human in interior, we have emotion and logic. Emotion always rules, which is why uh, if you hear a rumor or even hear a lie that, that in some way sounds it's going to endanger your life, you will react to it before doing anything else. Um, so fear is contagious, but the good news is so is calm, you know, being calm. Mm -hmm is joy. Uh, there's a lot of other things that are contagious too. But the fact is, yes, this can ripple through an organization and, and break up. It's the, the solidarity that we thought we had there. So if people are afraid of, of new technologies or this new workplace habit, once again, it is the incumbent on management to say, how do we address this? We just can't leave people to their own devices or, you know, have unspoken threats about what will happen if you don't, don't uh, you know, come online with this. It is a. It is going to break down the solidarity of organizations, and this is not merely an empty threat that I'm putting forward. You can see companies now that have succeeded by creating environments where they are doing the opposite of this and creating healthy, um, equitable, inclusive workspaces, both on premise and at home, and are succeeding. And that is the the great news from the book. There are better ways to work and to live as workers. So there's a good news tale mm -hmm. to this. 
Yeah. And, and with that, we're, I want to explore that with you after the break. Would you take another break and talk about, you know, how can we cope with this? How can we create better ways to do this? And how can we, you know, get better digital legis- um, literacy across our our organizations? And we'll talk about that after the break. And for our listeners today, we are talking with Steve Prentice, and he's a specialist in organizational psychology, focusing on the junction where people and technology interact. His fourth book is now out, and it's entitled The Future of Workplace Fear, How Human Reflex Stands in the Way of Digital Transformation. And he helps people and organizations understand each other, the technologies they use, and the changes that are present. He's a speaker, writer, journalist, and university lecturer who focuses on the human acceptance of technology, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, blockchain, and the future of work. Now, you can learn more about Steve on his website, www.stevefrentis.com. You can reach out to him on LinkedIn or on Twitter under Stephen Prentice under LinkedIn and on Twitter. And this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda. Cinda holds virtual trainings, conferences, market research, legislative white papers focused on digital. They also have an e-learning platform in cooperation with Boss Capital for Startups, where product managers and startups can help their companies succeed. They also have a conference, and the next digital conference is held October 16th to 18th in Florence, Italy. So please go to www.cinda.com for more information. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we are talking with Steve Prentice, a specialist in organizational psychology focused on the junction where people and technology interact. And his fourth book is entitled The Future of Workplace Fear, How Humans Reflex Stands in the Way of Digital Transformation. Now, we've been talking, um, Steve, a lot in the first two segments, you know, kind of about digital transformation and the technology, you know, changes and the fear around it. And we explored, you know, some of the fears that are out there, 
as we kind of boomed forward over the last two years into this virtual workplace. So um, what? let's talk about kind of solutions, okay? Um, what are the best ways that people can, you know, cope with these types of fears in the workplace? It starts with understanding that the fear exists. I know that sounds kind of like a silly statement, mm-hmm. but people tend to get uh, get subsumed by by the emotion of fear and not recognize where it's coming from and why. Um, once you recognize you have a fear, you can start to now work on balancing that out with fact. As I said before before the break, uh, we are internally we are both we have two sides emotion and logic and emotion always wins every argument because we respond to that because it, it speaks to the ultimate danger or the fear of death or or injury that anything could cause okay and everything we've said so far is basically rooted in that if you lose your job you know that becomes a very mortal fear so we need to balance out that with fact and fact always follows afterwards so we need to have the knowledge. If you're afraid of something, what is it you're afraid of? Let's get this out in the open and identify what it is that truly um, makes you fearful. And balance that out, neutralize it, almost like an acid in a base, to what what facts can we use to bring down the, the emotional intensity of the fear and deal with it. So if afraid of losing your job but because of technology or for any other reason what's the biggest thing you can do to eliminate the fear of losing your job it's knowing what to do next what else is out there you know maybe you like your job and you want to keep it sure but if something happened what resources do you have to find something else and the good news is there's never been a better time in all of you know, all of western history of human history to be in between jobs because there are other things out there maybe in a different industry but there are things out there it means that you as an individual need to set up that insurance policy uh, to be able to find those other opportunities and this is done through things like building up your network so on LinkedIn and Twitter as you mentioned these are places where you can build up your network of people who can help you find something if you need it. Twitter, uh, you know, is much maligned as a, as a medium because there's a lot of bad stuff that happens on there. But it's also the place where you can learn skills. You can learn the things you need to know about in your industry or your next industry from experts who tweet their 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 good stuff. He often gets drowned out by the by the noise. But you can keep up to speed with what you need to know to stay marketable. So bottom line is, and I say this in a single sentence, if you think to yourself in the morning, is this the day I get fired? Your answer should be, so what? I've got the resources. I've got the knowledge. There is something else out there. It's a wonderful feeling to know that you can. You don't have to leverage this against your boss, but knowing that you don't have to live in fear of losing your job because there are alternatives out there, that is a very, very self-affirming and life-affirming sensation. And and Steve, you know, I'm thinking about this. So, you know, narrowing it down to lose my job or something. But some people, uh, to me, just kind of have this this general um, fear of change or resistance to change. You know, um, um, you know how where we live in a in a society today that things are changing so rapidly. Um, you know, how do we become accustomed to that? Do how do we just accept that? Simply by uh, through exposure, you know, you there was a time when nobody actually carried a phone with them. Uh, telephones were payphones on the wall or phones mm-hmm. you had. In- <laughs> I remember those days when people would say, you know, well, I, who, who's who's important enough to really need their own phone? That was the pushback people said before we got our smartphones. And over the years, the smartphone moved from just simply being a telephone to what it is now as a life device. How did we survive that? If somebody came to you. 
30 years ago, we're all going to have a phone with a camera on it. You'll say the exact thing that people said back then. Why do you need a camera on a phone? We're going to you know, end up in some sort of uh, surveillance society where everyone's taking pictures <laughs> of everyone with no privacy. What do we have now? We've grown into it. We have grown used to it because the fear barrier has been eliminated by the convenience factor. Right. Mm-hmm. Same with the social media. If you like being on Instagram or Facebook, I mean, not everybody does, but a lot of people do. Because there isn't a lot of fear to that. Overall, you get to enjoy the experiences of this. So there are many things we have grown accustomed to that at one time didn't exist. Cars, trains, um, mm-hmm. internal heating in the house. All of these things got pushed back against by people who said, no, 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 we don't want this. So you can acclimatize yourself to change through exposure. Find out what it is that truly makes you fearful of this. Again, is it that you don't know how to use it? Or is it because it's strange and, and weird? Is it just because it's just not how things were and start to teach yourself the the facts that change will continue to happen and if you are able to grow into this as much as you want you don't have to use all of social media but if you turn to let's say an online dictionary rather than pulling the book off the shelf what have you done you have embraced change by using something that is convenient to you so we've got to look at the facts of how might this impact you positively uh, in place of how is this going to affect me negatively. But I have to say, Kimberly, that the number one reflex people are going to have whenever they see anything that has changed, they will always ask the question of themselves, what will this do to me mm-hmm. rather than what will it do for me? For me, so yeah. Consciously move that around the other direction to say, what will this do for me? And if I don't know the answer, where can I find the answer? Who can I turn to for some guidance, some teaching, some exposure to this tool? Fear is a very, very powerful master, but it can you can escape from it just by using facts and turning to people who have those facts to guide you. Mm-hmm. And it's that logic over emotion again. So, yeah, I know. Yeah. So, um, Steve, just, you know, that's what we can do as employees. And, to you know, what about the companies? I mean, what can companies to do to create a better environment, um, you know, to, to minimize fear? And, and, and also I'm going to throw in increased digital lit, um, literacy because, you know, that's still a little bit of a problem. I know there's two different subjects, but, you know, to minimize fear, let's take that first. Yeah. Uh, with, with organizations, companies, it's going to come down to a cost-benefit thing, right? How much is it going to cost us to do? What are we going to get from it? There has been this overarching sort of industrial revolution mindset that people must come to work and work for as long as they can stay conscious in order, you know, to do things. And this is not only in, inaccurate, but but woefully wrong in terms of the calculation of true output. Um, you know, prior to this book, I mean, a lot of what I've been doing over the last 20 years is analyzing exactly that. If you were the most dedicated employee in the world, you want to work eight or 10 hours straight without even leaving your chair, you still would not be able to put in eight or 10 hours worth of work. Your body by itself would zone in and out based on blood sugar and all kinds of other internal chemistry. You can't do that. But there is this fallacy that believes that people who are putting in that face time are actually putting in eight hours of work. That is not true. So organizations that really want to excel, especially in this highly dynamic workplace that we are now in, this this global economy, need to recognize the, the, the true dynamics of human work and productivity and cost are very different from what they were taught in management school or that they grew mm-hmm. through in, in their career as managers. That again is a source of fear because now they themselves are seeing that they are the emperor with no clothes. Their <laughs> management structure is wrong. 
uh, for this era. However, if I had an employee, or I don't even like to use that word, if I'd like to have a, a worker, someone who's working with me and for me, who says, you know, I'm a night owl, and I can do my best work between 9 p.m. and midnight, I'm going to say, great, do it. That's that's what we're here for, is to get stuff done the best way possible. I don't need to have you here at 9 a.m. sharp just because that's what the, the dogma has been for the last 50 years. So companies need to truly recognize they're in a new world where dynamics of individual participation, not a workforce, but mm -hmm. individual people who work with the company need to be addressed on an individual level. That is not as costly as it seems. In fact, the 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 actual ratio of revenue uh, from that kind of di you know diverse, equitable, and inclusive environment is far more promising than the status quo. But again, leaving the status quo is change, and so managers and and directors too are very afraid of that. But that is my short answer. Is <laughs> it's a long short answer. Uh, <laughs> to recognize the times we're in um, and the benefits that come from um, having a truly engaged workforce based on their own individual desires and abilities. And when you can do that, uh, it works extremely well. Mm -hmm. And and that goes along with helping helping you know the workers or your colleagues or whatever become more digital literate. And and you said that we talked about that when we we're talking uh, about you know, you having the camera on, okay? I mean, years ago when we went to the office, they'd put us in, in training courses on how to present, how to, to give feedback, all kinds of things like that. But it's not as prevalent. I mean, it's out there, but, you know, how can we help people become more digital, dig, you know, digital literate, you know, and, and be better in interacting, you know, not in person? I would say, you know, it, it splits up between what do we need them to know, what do they want to know, like they don't already know, what do they need to learn, and where do, where do they fit comfortably on a spectrum? So, I mean, if somebody is is not comfortable having their, their face on camera, what's the reason for that? Is it a personal security issue? Is it just simply a vanity issue or just simply a discomfort? Um, I will say, you know, let's look at the technologies. How can the technologies work for individuals so that we can teach them the value of being on camera? Now, for example, if we were doing a session that was a long, long thing like this, I'd say, yeah, have the camera on, but don't feel obliged to sit in front of it for the whole time. Get up, walk around. I'd be more than happy to see you pacing back and forth in your living room than staring at the screen because that's not <laughs> natural. So yeah. let's find other alternatives. I'm also very, very strong on virtual environments, which is where we go into 3D type, almost like mm -hmm. a video game scenario, and exist in a three-dimensional space. I think these things are the future, uh, but again, people are not used to it entirely yet. But it's very, very easy to accept and embrace once you get into that. So the bottom line is, how can we get people to become digitally literate? Find out what they need to know. Find out what's holding them back and then give them the exposure in small amounts so they get used to it and become as comfortable with it as they are with their smartphone. That is the ultimate talisman here, the ultimate symbol of the potential. You've already got it. You've got the world's greatest computer in your pocket. Who to, you know, you didn't take many courses on how to learn that because the threat barrier was low. So let's work together to bring this threat barrier down and so you can feel comfortable. And if that means doing a session on purely how to do a session, right, uh, training people yes. how to exist on camera, yeah. teach them and that's fun doing it. Yeah. Okay, Steve, um, we're getting towards the end of the show. Really great stuff and a fantastic book. Okay, I'm going to, I urge our listeners to, to get the book. It is available on Amazon. And Steve, um, one last, you know, uh, tip, uh, wrap it up. Um, 
you know, I'm urging people to get the book. What's your kind of last tip to our listeners? Just know that it is possible. You know, whatever you fear in life, there is solutions to either eradicate the fear or deal with it. Uh, just know that it is possible. So if you need to talk to somebody or even talk to yourself and write things out on a board, know that it is a, it is possible to eliminate the danger of fear. Uh, you don't have to live inside that cone. Just simply use people and words to balance the facts up with the emotion that is the path to, to feeling better about whatever causes you fear. Okay, great ending words. And for our listeners, we've been talking with Steve Prentice, and he's a specialist in organizational psychology, focusing on the junction where people and technology interact. As I said, great book on Amazon. His fourth book, The Future of Workplace Fear, How Human Reflex Stands in the Way of Digital Transformation. And it focuses on how humans are driven by fear, their roots, and what we've been talking about on the, the podcast today. And Steve helps people and organizations understand each other tech, and the technologies they use and how to make change. He's a speaker, writer, journalist, and university lecturer, focuses on the human acceptance of technology, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, blockchain, and the future of work. Now, please reach out to Steve. He is on his website, www.steveprentice.com, and on LinkedIn and Twitter under Stephen Prentice. And this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda, and Cinda is one of Europe's fastest-growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. They hold virtual trainings, conferences, market research, and legislative white papers focused on digital. And they also have conferences. Their next conference is going to be held October 16th to 18th in Florence. And they have an e-learning platform focusing on helping startups and product managers make their products more successful. So please go to www.cinda.org for more information. And please remember to listen to us every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time. And with that, I'd like to thank our guest again. Steve, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Kimberly. It's been an absolute pleasure. Okay, great. And listen, listeners, please tune in to us again next week. Thank you and goodbye till then. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.